Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello, good morning, and welcome to uh, Football Digest. Fair to say, after the um, international break, um, club football back with a bang, the Premier League, and of course, the Champions League. Um, Watched some great games in the Champions League this week. Um, Chelsea getting beat by Real Madrid. Liverpool taking command of their um, Champions League tie against Benfica. And you'd probably have to say Man City and Atletico Madrid probably in the balance, really, with City holding that narrow lead going to the Metropolitano next week. But no pause for breath, really. What a great weekend of club football coming up as well, with, of course, on Sunday, what many people think is the title decider, despite there being plenty of games left. Man City versus Liverpool at the Etihad. We'll come to that one later, but we're going to start at Chelsea. And with me, I've got Matt Dunn, who's alongside me at Chelsea. Matt Dunn of the Express. He was with me at Stamford Bridge last night. And Simon Mullock, the Chief Football Writer of the Sunday Mirror. Matt, um, cracking game last night. Brilliant from Benzema. Um, you were in the press conference there late on. Um, have you seen Tuchel as, as, I don't know, agitated and as upset as he was then? Do you know what, Andy? Um... I have to admit, I wasn't in the press conference. I was around the back trying to scuffle around and get a few <laughs> quotes from players who clearly hadn't done their talking on the pitch. And we were hoping to get a few words with some of them afterwards uh, for, for later editions. Um, so I wasn't there, but uh, I have seen him abrasive. I've read the transcript, obviously seen, seen what happened. Um, but uh, yeah, and no, I have occasionally, but but perhaps not as, as fiercely as, as it seemed to me last night. But you, you know what, Matt? I mean, he was probably, he seems to be more um, annoyed with Chelsea's performance last night than maybe he did when they got um, battered by Brentford at the weekend. Um, and I found that quite odd. I didn't think they were that bad last night. It's obviously a couple of defences, uh, defensive lapses. But Simon, do you think that these two defeats, you know, I mean, they conceded what? That would be well. They conceded six goals without reply, four to Brentford, and then two to Madrid before they um, got one back through habits. Do you think those two defeats are symptomatic of something deeper at the club? The problem. Do you think that off-field problems, well documented, are now having an effect on what's happening on the field? I do think they're having an effect, um, and I don't think that's. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's an excuse the players would want to hide behind. A few of us spoke to Mason Mount when he was on England duty, and uh, Chelsea went into the international break on a really good run of form, mm. and he was saying that actually playing the games was um, was a release from from all the the off the field talk and the you know the sanctions that have been leveled against Abramovich and the 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 fact that the club was now um in a state of flux because um the negotiations about the takeover but i think it has worn them down slightly and i just yeah. think they look they just look uh, tired they they don't look they don't just don't look as focused as yeah. chelsea have looked for for most of the season and Thomas Tuchel demands that. That's the way he plays. It's a very organised system of playing, um, and you know, Chelsea could have could have pulled it back in the end and maybe made it three two, even three all, had some really good chances, and then the tie would would have still been alive. But at the same, by the same token, defensively, I, they, they were they were very poor last night, and Real Madrid mm. could have scored even more 
Um, you know, there was um, there was certainly a, a, another great chance for Benzema in that first half. Yeah. So um, it was a great game. You know, a really enjoyable game. I watched it from home, uh, and it was it was a relief to see two two teams in the last day of the Champions League actually going for yeah. it. Actually, giving it a go and trying to win the game after what we saw from Atletico Madrid twenty four hours earlier, which I think Diego. I mean, I'm going off track a little bit here, but I think Diego yeah. only gets away with it a little bit. I, I thought that was nothing short of a disgrace from Atletico Madrid on Tuesday night. Well, 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 we'll come on to that. We'll certainly come on to that, um, Matt. Um, I think what you know, Benzema clearly was the star of the show last night. You know, and it takes some doing to score back-to-back hat-tricks against you know the billionaires of PSG and then the Iranian European champions. I mean, that, that's that, that's some going. Um, he certainly looks happy to have his match ball afterwards. Definitely. Sorry. He certainly looks happy to be grabbing his match ball afterwards. Yeah, deserved it, mate. Deserved it, didn't he? Yeah. You know, after all these years, you know, people have suddenly realised what, what what a superstar he is. You know, maybe now Ronaldo's out of the way. People are beginning to realise that. If you could just you know, your assessment of what Benzema brings to the game, plus just the great contrast, of course, which is great to write about, was that, you know, all the hundreds of millions Chelsea have spent on strikers, you know, how many of them have come off? And then, of course, last night, you know, Lukaku, the money they've spent on him, he doesn't even get into the start 11. He comes on and he misses a sitter, you know, and and, and that's that just highlights, you know, how wasteful Chelsea have been in the strike department and how good Benzema is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was only, re- I think the replays really showed how good those two headers were because he mm. had to put some power on that to to stop Mendy getting close to it and put it right in the corner for the first one. The yeah. second one was just perfect judgment of a, a looped header from an unmarked position, which he'd earned himself by starting the move and then carrying it on. Whereas Chelsea's defenders backed off, you know, the one man you don't want to give must have been six or seven yards of space in the area for for that header. Um, it is Benzema in that sort of form, and, and he just couldn't believe his luck for the third. Although, uh, having said that, you know, those <laughs> I've seen strikers miss from there in, in bloopers reels, given that sort of chance, you know, just to coolly roll the ball into the net from 30 yards. You know, he still had to finish it. Uh, which brings us on to Lukaku, because he had just mm. as much space for that second header. Um, I mean, the first one, he, he might have attacked more and when he first came on. And then, and then he had this second chance where he was in the perfect place. He just had to flick the ball inside the far post. Uh, and, it, and it went wide. And that's just been sort of typical of his his season, really. His lack of belief, I think. Um, you know, he was signed to score those goals specifically because that was something Chelsea, even though they won the uh, Champions League, didn't have last season. And it's just not worked. Mind you, it would be nice for Lukaku to hear some of the nice words that Tuchel was saying about Benzema on the eve of the game. That was quite strange. Him absolutely, you know, praising Benzema. Uh, yeah, just a few of his Chelsea players had listened. Perhaps they'd have marked him a bit tighter. Yeah. Matt, as soon as you were there, I'll just put this one to you. One of our... Uh, listeners, um, viewers, uh, Mark Best has, has said he's not happy with Tuchel's tactics at the moment. Um, Alan Chamberlain, who's a regular um, correspondent, says this is the start of the end for Chelsea. Do you sense, you know, I, th- I think it was sort of um, left out of court, really, where various people, including myself, mentioned Tuchel in relation to maybe a move to all traffic. Do you think that 
that Tuchel looks happy there at the moment? And do you think he's getting it right? Do you think the tactics, which he changed at half-time last night, were correct? Do you think the way they set up last night, you know, Vinicius Jr. got loads of space down that left-hand side because Reese James was so far advanced. Do you think he got it wrong there? Do you think, you know, he's shown that he has got faults, Tuchel? Um, it was certainly a strange decision, perhaps, to play on the other flank, Aspilicueta, as opposed to Alonso. The balance didn't quite seem there. Um, and I, I think he has, he, he really wants to get Kovacic into the team. And he has his favourite players, his go-to players in these big games. Uh, and he and he perhaps has too much loyalty to them. And sometimes he doesn't, well, at least he recognised it. Because, I mean, for all that we say, you know, Mendy puts the ball out into Rose Z in the 45th mm. second of the second half. And Chelsea had, I think, 16 shots to one in, in, in the second half. We could be talking about two or even a 3-2 Chelsea lead yeah. to go to the burnabout. So I don't think he's got a lot wrong because at least he recognised yeah. it wasn't working. Um, as to the longer-term thing with Tuchel, Tuchel's problem's always been at his clubs is that he's, he falls out with the people above him. Uh, and he's got no one above him at the minute. He's got no one so, there, yeah. so the truth will come when he finds out who he's got above him and, you know, whether he gets on with them or not. And Because some of the things he's been saying about the club have been quite forthright about management issues because he's been the only voice. But but when there is someone there, they might take, you know, a little bit of umbrage at, at some of the things he's been saying. And, and that's when you could perhaps see the cracks appear. Um, yeah. At the moment as well, yeah, he'd be full to make a decision without thinking it through because he's exhausted at the moment. You could tell he was he was really wound up last night, right from the oh. right from the start, bouncing around in his technical area. Um uh not the help by the fact that Carlo Ancelotti looks so relaxed all the time. Um but uh but yeah he's really fired up and I think you know they've played a lot of games this season. They've gone deep in both domestic cups. They've played the World Club Championship. You know, I think he'd be full to make a tired decision. But you could see that He's perhaps running out of a bit of energy at the moment, just when it matters. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, a couple of things on that. I, I thought, I mean, you're quite right about, you know, Mendy should have um, got rid of it. But then I thought, you know, Antonio Rudiger wasn't, was, was hardly blameless. You know, I wouldn't say he was equally to blame, but he was hardly blameless in that. I couldn't quite understand how he went in with his left foot and didn't clear out ball and man when Mendy made that mm. bad pass. Um, and, and secondly, I was just going to say, um, Simon, about Matt mentioned there about, you know, Tuchel fall out with the people above him. He's got no one above him at the moment. A final thing on Chelsea. I mean, how important is it? I mean, it's clearly very important. How do you see it? How quickly can they get this ownership business sorted out? And will it continue to affect them until the end of the season? Well, I mean, p- people you speak to in football finance say it's, it's very difficult to sort these things mm. out with any, any great speed. And it becomes even more complicated when you've got what you know when you've got um, groups of people, consortiums involved, because different people want different things, and a lot of different boxes have to be ticked. So, uh, you know, the process is ongoing. I certainly, obviously, um, I don't think it'll be. Uh, I'll be. I'll, I'll be stunned if it's completed before the end of the season. Yeah. So you're talking the summertime then, and then you, you you're getting into the realms of how how on earth does a manager plan in the, for the next season? when he's not got a clue who the new owner's going to be. He's not got anybody to talk to about contracts, about new signings, about players that are going to be sold on. You know, and, and let's not forget, by the way, Chelsea, Chelsea are a club that cash in hell of a lot on players that have come through their academy. 
So, so that's another kind of revenue stream that might that may be put on hold um, for for much longer um, than anticipated, and could could affect those plans. But can I just say, by the way, I agree, yeah. disagree totally with both of you about the Mendy should have just booted it anywhere. You know, yeah. goalkeepers aren't told to do that these days. So, yeah. Certainly at the top level, it was a simple pass. It was a poor pass, poor, poorly executed. But I'm pretty sure if the same situation arose again, um, Tuchel would would say to him, "Look, just make sure you make the pass right this time." I don't think I think we're past the stage now where a keeper comes running out of out, yeah. out of goal, and, and he wasn't under great pressure. It was just a yeah. badly executed pass, um, you know. And it's one of those risk risk reward things. Um, you know, like I say, goalkeepers these days are encouraged to try and build out from the back. Chelsea were losing the game. I know it was the early minutes of the second half, but you know, I, I've got to say, I, I, I felt a bit sorry for for Mendy because he was he was trying to build yeah. play, and, and if it had just kicked out, you would have you would have heard groans from the, from the crowd. No, 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 exactly. And you, you know, I mean, Real Madrid got the reward last night for. You know, they played pretty much on the counter-attack, but they committed men to the counter-attack all the time. You know, they quickly committed men. You saw that when, in the early stages, when Vinicius Jr. hit the bar, they had an overlap there, they had an overload of men there. Same when uh, Benzema scored twice. And that, Simon, brings me on to that point, is is that the previous night, from their, their City rivals, Atletico, we saw completely different, because what we saw there at the Etihad was a team that, you know, we thought they'd play on the counter, but they pretty much didn't do that. You know, they, they, they never actually committed any men to the counter. So, you know, maybe get up to Yao Felix, and really there was no support. How many times did they actually clear the ball? And then the ball, you know, there was no support at all. They didn't even um, commit to that. And that's what I thought was disappointing. However, it has polarised opinion. Now, I, I can get a hint of what yours is. There are some people who sort of... Um, I don't know whether to just be in sort of devil's advocate and say like it's all part of the game and isn't it? You know, it's a sort of Simeone masterclass in, in, in and that's what he does. And and by, by the way, why should teams roll out the red carpet for Manchester City oh, when they know they can play? But for you, that was taking it too far. For you, that was the you know the dark art too far. Yeah, because you look at the players Atletico Madrid have got. They've got better players in that. You know, Jao Felix, Griezmann, they had Suarez on the bench. Um, they're, they're a better team than that. And I, and I think, you know, it's it smacks of a manager who, who doesn't trust these players to express themselves. He only trusts them to, to fo- you know, follow orders, you know, close the gaps, uh, deny, deny space. And, you know, I've, I've quite... Enjoyed watching Atletico Madrid over the years because because of the contrast to most of the other teams that do reach the the final stages of the Champions League. But I mean, there was absolutely nothing going forward. You know, I mean, no no shots on no shots on target, no shots off target. You know, no corners. You know, go. I, I mean, I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of the the goals expected stat, but goals expected 0.0. I mean, you know, I just I just thought that was a step too far. And it wasn't as if City were at their kind of fluent best. It wasn't as if City were kind of hitting them with wave after wave of of um, quick, you know, quick attacks, and that, that uh, Atletico were were hanging on. Um, I think you know, I think City only got two shots on target all night. Yeah. So there was, and there were there were there were opportunities there for them to to try and counter attack. Yeah. Well, I'm not against a team that's settled to counter attack, but when you kind of venture 35, 40 yards from your goal and then literally just stop 
you know, that that kind of just, you know, that, that it was just a, it, it, you know, you look at the Champions League and, and it's supposed to be a spectacle and um, there was absolutely no spectacle there, there whatsoever. And Atletico, they, they got what they came for. They, their players seem to be happy with a, with a 1-0 defeat and, and are quite confident that they're going to turn the tie round in, in Madrid. Um you know, to do that, they're going to have to show a lot more in attacking intent than they did uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I think for its way, I I think the the, the next Wednesday's game. I, I think like with all these games in this short space of time, I think I think next Wednesday's game in Madrid for City. You know, a lot of a, a lot of there will be a ramification from whatever happens on Sunday. I think at the Etihad, you know, both in terms of physically and mentally. You know, they might get injuries. They might get a beating that affects them, um, and, and we'll come on to that game obviously uh, fairly soon. And I do think that will have an effect. Um, as for that game itself, Matt, I mean, Simon said that you know City weren't at the fluent best. Well, they win, but you know it, it's hard to play against you know two banks of five essentially. And what it needed was a little bit of a little bit of magic, really, a little bit of really you know um, sharp creativity. It, it needed a really good safe cracker, and it turns out that it was Phil Foden. You know, Foden came on, and just in that instance, I think he showed us all, Matt, didn't he? That, that you know, we keep saying it, but you know, he's England's player of the future, isn't he? Well, I don't know. It depends if we got Jude Bellingham as well. What, yes, what about right. two players of the future? It's like, yeah, it's like the uh, yeah. But but Phil Foden, I mean, the goal um, he scored. I'm trying to think uh, that against Southampton, uh, the technical ability he showed there just to to put the ball in the net. It is just like something we haven't seen. Possibly in an England shirt since Gaza, you know, just that that ability, innate ability to to connect with a football and, uh, and put it where he wants it to. Uh, and on top of that, he's got an incredible uh, footballing brain, uh, which seems to take him to all the the right or the wrong places, depending on whether you're attacking or defending. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> hopes are high as long as he stays fit uh, and continues to develop. I think this could be the the World Cup for him. Just because he's, you know, he's old enough, but he, he's not too old as well. Um, mm. In terms of the sort of that, but breakthrough tournament that he could really have, he wasn't quite, you know, with his injuries, he wasn't quite there last summer. Um, so that that could be ex- exceptional. But but yeah, no, I mean, you, you can tell from when ever Pep talks about him, he, I mean, and he's a fair judge of, of a footballer. He knows he's good, uh, and yeah, and I think he's just. Perhaps trying to take the pressure off him by using him more yeah. still sparingly to say, look, I can't expect you to do it every week, but you, you know, you're you're really useful to step up to the plate. We you know when it matters. He, he's got such, you know, as was shown by that, and then a run um, a little bit later on. I mean, he's got such quick feet. Mm. I can get a shot off so quickly, and we saw that, didn't we, Simon? In a, in a game at Anfield, was it last season or the season before? Yeah, he scored the last goal coming in from coming in from a, some, coming in from that right hand side. I actually like him when he came on on Tuesday. You know, he uh, he came on in the pretty much in the Mares position, didn't he? You know, but he has been used down left. I mean, I guess this is sort of almost a, a rhetorical question about what his best position is. You know, does it really matter where he plays? Has he got a best position? Where is he going to make his own? What position? I mean, we've know, seen everything. I mean, we even saw about remembering San Marino playing as the okay. It was only San Marino but playing as the sort of quarterback role, spraying passes around from the base of midfield. We've seen him through the middle, we've seen him on the left, we've seen him on the right. I think we, we just haven't seen him in goal. I think what that's one of the great um, benefits of um, mm. playing under Guardiola 
you, you know, you, you get a, a completely rounded football education. And, and Guardiola has demanded from him to, you know, to be able to play in a, in a myriad of positions. He's played quite a few games as a as a, um, a deep line centre forward. He's played yeah. either either side. He's not played too many games for City as a as a sort of deeper midfield player like he did for England. But I think he'd be absolutely sensational in that role as well. Yeah. And you know, I watch City regularly, and I think uh, you know Kevin De Bruyne gets all applauded, and and rightly so. He's a fantastic footballer. But I really do think Foden should now be the first name on on Guardiola's team sheet. I, I think he's yeah. that good. I think uh, I, I, there was a there was a palpable disappointment um, when the team was announced the other night, and he was on the bench mm. um, because it, it was seen as another one of those nights where it's Champions League and 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 Pep's kind of gone for a team that that yeah. maybe not a lot of people expected. And thankfully, this time for from Manchester City perspective. He, he, he realised it wasn't working after an hour yeah. and brought on two players that, that can keep the ball in those really tight spaces. You know, and Foden obviously um, grabbed the headlines by setting up the goal for De Bruyne. But I thought Grealish was was really good. You know, he was the most fouled player in the game. He was only on for 20 minutes. And I think that could be really important in, uh, in Madrid. Yeah. Uh, you know, winning free kicks at that level and, you know, if you can get them in a, cer- a certain range, because City are quite adept at, at, at set pieces, I think that could be, a, a, you know, a, um, an attacking option for City, yeah. um, you know, to, to draw the fouls and, and, and get themselves up the pitch. Um, so, yeah, but going back to Foden, like I say, I, I think he's he's now City's best player. Um, yeah. And he's added, he's added a consistency to his game over the last 18 months, two years. That, that that was probably the only missing ingredient. Yeah, I mean, I think Jack Greenish was born the most fouled player, wasn't he, um, Simon? I mean, yeah, he's been well, the most fouled. I don't know whether the uh, Simeone had a had a beef about him getting this um, this million pound contract for Gucci. Uh, <laughs> where maybe you know, maybe he works for a, a, you know a rival fashion house. But I mean, as soon as he came on, yeah. it, you know, it, it was like. Um, it, it, Athletic players were drawn to him like a magnet. It was as though in terms to kick him, and yeah. you know, it, it was a shame really that, um, that the referee was a little bit weak. I thought the other night and didn't kind of um, clamp down on it a little bit more. Yeah. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, Simeone will will have a plan in place for for both um, Foden and, and and Grealish in terms of how to stop him. But, but at the same token, he's you know he's then got the uh, complication of how he hurts hurts City at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how um, how the referee um, plays out at Madrid next next Wednesday, because you know it is going to be a tough one to referee. I actually think both referees. Um, I've been at both games, the Etihad and then the Bridge last night. I thought both referees let quite a lot go. Really, you know, it, it was um, you know they 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 tend to be, and also I did notice they that they're instantly dismissive of. Of a whole host of penalty appeals. I mean, there were several. There was two or three. Simon in the City game. I think Bailey <coughs> went down. De Bruyne went down, didn't he? I think you know that uh, Bernardo Silva went down. Um, and I thought the referee got them right. I thought they. I, th- I thought they were actually quite good. Just while City were, you know, undoubtedly having a really tough time against Atletico Madrid, and will have another tough time. Liverpool, I mean, just took care of, took care of business again in Benfica. They were expected to get through this two-legged tie quite easily. They are going to get it through quite easily. It could have been easier. They could have been four or five 
5-1. I mean, they really are at the moment. I mean, just a bit of machine under Klopp, aren't they, Simon? Yeah, they, they're just churning out. You know, I, I've got to say, it was an impressive performance, of course. Winning 3-1 away in the Champions League quarterfinal is a great performance. I think Liverpool have probably got another one or two gears. Um, mm. I think they're winning games, you know, in a trance at the moment. They're just rolling teams over every single week without really having to get out of second gear. And I, and I just think that there there is a lot more to come from Liverpool. And when you get to this stage of the season and you, you're still in all three competitions that, that are left to challenge for, that's quite a daunting prospect for, for everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and I and I just think they've they've had their eyes on this game at the Etihad for a long while now. You know, they've been closing the gap. They've kind of pinpointed it as probably the day when they can really, you know, test City's credentials. Um, and I, I would think that they w- we will see Liverpool go up another two or three gears on, on, yeah. you know, on Sunday. And City will have to respond. And, you know, and the one thing we do know is they're both going to try and win the game. So, mm. you know, it should be famous last words, but it should be a great, a, a great fixture. It should be a great fixture on Liverpool, Matt. Um, you know, in in a way, I mean, Simon says they've been building up to this game um, um, on Sunday, and of course they meet again in the, in the FA Cup final the week after. And in a way, Liverpool's build up has been, you know, I'm not saying there's any chance of complacency, but it's been it's been a really nice build up in the sense they've strung together a lot of wins. They have a a fairly straightforward win over Watford on Saturday when they didn't play particularly well. And, and like Simon says, probably didn't get out of second gear. They go to Benfica and get the job done. Um, they're looking in fantastic shape at the moment. And one thing, Matt, just, we've got a couple of a couple of uh, listeners of, of, of uh, messaged us, William Moran has messaged us to say, you know, and, and all this without Mohamed Salah being in, in anywhere near his top form. Um, let's hope he picks up his shots on target. He probably said last weekend for those who have a bet on football, they had a special offer on um, Salah, um, one of the betting companies, to say that they paid even money if Salah had one shot on targets against Watford. And I think everyone who had an account with this betting company piled on, thinking it was you know literally just printing money. You know, you're getting even money in, in 90 minutes, you're doubling your money. And of course, he didn't have a shot on target, got taken off, and then Liverpool got a penalty. Um, at the moment. You'd have to say, Matt, they're doing it without Salah, but they've got so many options, aren't they? If you could just go on into Salah's situation first, Matt, about the whole contract situation, but then, of course, he has the, the options. He, he's now got pair many five from uh, pair many three from five, hasn't he? But Firmino, Diaz, Salah, Mane, and Jota, and that's a great luxury to have at this stage of the season. Well, absolutely, and um, weirdly, the two things are combined on and off the field. I think Salah's seeing the fact that that actually he's not the be-all and end-all for Liverpool uh, in terms of when it sit, comes to sitting down, down around a negotiating table. Uh, and, and there's periods in, in clubs go through where everyone thinks they can score goals. And Liverpool are blessed in that department at the moment. You know, whenever they go on the pitch, the rest of the team think, well, someone's going to score, someone's going to get us the goals. Mm. And once it doesn't have to be Salah. I mean, that's been the problem with teams like Spurs in the past is, you know, if Kane doesn't score, Oh, where are the goals coming from? They've got better in that regard with now Son weighing in and Liverpool have just taken that a step beyond. You know, it, it, 
signing Jossa was was the first step, and then Diaz as well. It's just added to the to the Arsenal, uh, for want of a better word. And um, uh, and and Klopp knows that some somebody will get the ball in the back of that, and it's just that mm. runs through the team at the moment. You can see it. Whenever they go forward, they think there's a fair chance we'll get one here, boys. Uh, and that belief in a team is like you can steamroll over any sort of indifferent performances. If, if you know, like against Watford, we'll, we'll get a couple of goals. You know, we don't have to play that well. You know, and, and that belief is there. Uh, and Salah possibly is perhaps taking that as an opportunity yeah. to not beat himself up about that. And Klopp's made no secret the fact that he values him as a team player as well as a goal scorer uh, and you know Klopp if Klopp doesn't mind then Salah probably doesn't mind you know you want to want to score goals but pre- perhaps he's saving himself for a few big ones still to come maybe on Sunday I mean Sam I mean, mentioned you, you know I've said about about the attack I mean you know sometimes sometimes when you read some parts of social media, you would think Liverpool had the best players in the world in every single position, wouldn't you? I mean, um, at at times. But I do think that defensively, you know, I mean, they're also, you know, very, very solid at the moment. And one player I just want to talk about, just offer a tangent, because it's not far off now. You know, I'm going to wait until after the, um, after these defining games to a certain extent, after these next 10 days, um, before I cast my vote for football of the year. But you know what? I'm I'm tempted, you know. I am tempted for a player who might divide opinion and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think he's just been exceptional, you know. And I think the debate about whether he is a good defender or not, listen, he's not a right-back. He's only a right-back in name in Liverpool's team. Let's face it, he plays in his own position, almost a Trent position. And I think, you know, I just think, I don't know about you, but I just think any debate about him is going away. He just goes from strength to strength, doesn't he? Unbelievable! His passing yeah. is just, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, he ju- he just spots things that um, no other player sees, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm talking about midfield players as well, you know. For, to, for, and you're right, that right back, right back position. And Klopp's mentioned this that, that the right back, where he plays as a right back, it gives him that time and that space to hit those kinds of yeah. passes. And you wonder whether you, you're actually getting to the point where teams will actually use wingers to mark him. Mark, rather yeah. than rather than you know asking them to to give um, Alexander Arnold some you know some defensive responsibilities, I just think he's such a fantastic player. I agree with you; he's got to be in the running for the football of the year, yeah. um, simply because he, you know the amount of the amount of um, not just the amount of goals he creates, but the amount of chances every time he gets on the ball. Now you're you're thinking right, wh- where's he going to go from here? And you're kind of disappointed if he pe- plays a ten yard pass inside to um, to Van Dijk. Just absolutely, absolutely outstanding, and it's yeah. one of the problems that um, that Gareth Southgate has yeah. got. He's got to get Trent Alexander-Arnold in the England team. He's got to because um, the, the the creativity he brings demands it. You know, he's the best right back in the country, and yeah. um, you know, uh, is he defensively the best? No, but I mean, I think all, all his other qualities more than make up for that. Got to, got to be in the England team, and definitely, like you say. A contender for the uh, Football of the Year award. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think you try and fit your best players in. I understand to a certain extent. You, you know, it's different playing for Liverpool, playing for England. You, you know, I mean, it's clearly different. The two different types of coaches for start off, two different philosophies. One a far more defensive coach, and if you're a more defensive coach, then maybe you do look at Alexander Arnold's um, sort of defensive discipline 
Um, but even so, I just think he's, I mean, he's such a talent right now. He, he, you know, he's coming on so much that, that you know, uh, I mean, I think other nations would look at us if we can't get him. Don't forget, it wasn't that long ago that Southgate couldn't get him in the squad. Never mind in, in the team. And I think that needs to be sorted. Going back to City Liverpool, I want to come on now, Matt, to, to, to where you think Sunday's game, you know, and let's hope it lives up to, to expectations so, because it should be a fantastic match. Where's it going to be won or lost? And don't see the Etienne. <laughs> as, as though I'd go for a cheap shot like that. Um, I think it's going to be won or lost on the level of performance of City's key players. As much as Salah, Salah's a goal scorer, uh, and he's got that. He hasn't been recently, so if he gets goals, you kind of expect that. But if De Bruyne plays and plays as well as he can, and Sterling plays as well as he can, and that increasingly Foden plays as well as he can, they are three match winners that that um, the City have in their team. That if they're all on song at home, I think Liverpool is going to find that hard to stop, even with Van Dijk playing out of his skin, just because they can come at them from different angles, link up in different ways, and that could be the difference. That said, if it's not quite gelling, Liverpool have this amazing, but like we say, there's goals in there in that Liverpool team. We don't know where they're going to come from, but there's good, they're, they're going to score at the Etihad, I think. Um, and, and then if you've got Van Dijk at the back, you know, marshalling everything properly, uh, and like I say, those players aren't quite there, then I think, you know, Liverpool could nick a 1-0. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the battle. It's, it's how well City's key players perform, I think. Yeah. Who's playing, Simon? Who's playing for City? I mean, let, let, let's just let's just have a, a detailed look at who, we, what, how we think it's going to set up. Who's available? Who's playing? So I assume. Do you assume that Carl Walker comes back in? Yeah, Carl Walker will definitely come back in. Uh, I think so. Cancelo will, will go back to left back. Go to left back. Um, yeah, Stone. you've obviously got Stone, Stones and Laporte as the two centre backs. Mm. Although I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't totally rule out. Ruben Diaz, who's been training for a few weeks, you know, right, and, okay. last, last last week he maybe needed another ten days to two weeks. Well, you're right on the kind of periphery of that timescale now. It wouldn't surprise me if if we saw him, if not start the game, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw him on the bench. Um, I think in terms of midfield, I think uh, obviously Rodri anchors it, so he's a you know he's a he's become yeah, he's a kind of. Um, undroppable this season. His form's been outstanding, and then you've got the the choice of well, do you play? You know, you've got that four man midfield of, of De Bruyne, um, uh, De Bruyne, uh, Grealish, um, Foden, and Bernardo Silva, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got what you've still got one more to fit in. Well, I you know he, he's he's ten, his go to player really has been Mares, so yeah. I would imagine that Mares would be in there as well. Um, I just think Matt's absolutely right. I think the, the key, I think the key is um, is City managing to control Liverpool's front players because City, one of City's best performances this season was at Anfield. And they yes. they really, really gave Liverpool a sorry time that day and should have won the game. You know, they, they should have won that game. Yet they came away with a 2 all draw. Um, that was probably, you know, their best performance of the season. And they came away with a two-all draw because Mane and Salah produced two unbelievable moments of individual quality that that mm. were just, you know, out of this world. And, um, you know, that that's a problem for City. City could control Liverpool like they did at Anfield. They could dominate Liverpool like they, they did at Anfield. 
but they've still got the problem that Liverpool have got players who can turn games in an absolute, absolute blink of an eye. And um, I think that's what makes for. I think it's a you know it is a um, it's a contrasting styles in the in the, in the way to both teams attack, but the the intent is is always there to try and get forward and try and score goals. And I, I just think it will be a, a you know one of one of the, one of the great games of uh, of the season. Yeah, it, it should be. It'll be interesting to see who Klopp plays. I mean. You know, my my instinct would be the 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 the, the, the three perms from the five would be Mane, and despite his um is sort of like um slightly mediocre spell at the moment, Mane, Salah, and Jota one one would have thought, but you know Diaz looks such a good option, doesn't he? I mean, such a good option, and would be a great option um from the bench. Um, which way do you see it go, Matt? This particular one, this guy. Uh... In yeah. terms of sticking my neck out on the result, I think yeah. I think um, I think City will win two one. Yeah. Simon, I think it'll be a draw. Sorry mm. to sit on the fence, but I, do, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's possible to kind of um, separate the two teams. And there's there are so many sort of variables there. Yeah. You know, who, well for a start, who clock who clock plays, but you know, you know yeah. that whoever he, whoever he plays are, are going to be a threat. Um, and, and I just think that, that it's just so tight up there. I just think yeah. that um, it'll it'll probably be a draw. I mean, Liverpool are due a performance at the Etihad, by the way. I know they, they won there in the Champions League, but in terms of Premier League, it's it's become quite a difficult place for them to go. So um, you know, there's that to factor in as well. Um, but yeah, I can see it being a draw. You know, I, I think I think it's tough. Is it possible, Matt, to um, to predict the winner of the entire title race? I mean, you can predict it, but is it possible to yeah. predict it with any confidence? Let's put it that way. No. <laughs> yes, you can predict it, not with any confidence. No, I mean, yeah. uh, ask, ask me again after Sunday's, we know Sunday's result, and it will perhaps become yeah. a lot clearer. But but right now, it's brilliant. It's It could be either of them. And and it's it's going to be hard on whoever doesn't win it um, because you know, they are both worthy champions. It's not like one of these where someone's limped into port or whatever. This has been a fantastic race. It's... You know, Liverpool, you know, went away, got taught a lesson again in terms of title racing and have come back again at City. And City are always there, always tough. You know, they're two remarkable teams that are going head to head. And we've not seen this for, for, since sort of Chelsea, Manchester United, sort of for early Mourinho kind of era where, where when we've had such a, a great battle at the top. Simon, I just, just, just to finish on the City Liverpool thing, a broader point, a longer term point. Matt says two remarkable teams they are, and two remarkable managers. You know, I mean, they they really are. This rivalry is fantastic, isn't it? You know, and both different characters. Um, you know, we've dealt with them a lot, all of us, and we've seen them maybe in less formal circumstances. They are completely different characters, aren't they? You know, play slightly different football, obviously, a little bit more direct, but different characters, different approach to players, different personalities. But uh, unbelievable. I mean, the Premier League, and we're lucky to be seeing these two managers as they are now. And just a bit on that. And then just going forward, what happens? What happens when Pep goes? What happens when Jürgen goes? Well, I, I think I think both both um, both clubs have got people at Anfield and the Etihad who will have a long-term plan. You know, people, are, I've heard it suggested that, that Liverpool and City will go through this the same kind of pain that 
Manchester United have gone through in the, in the last eight years. But you can be absolutely certain that, that the people who actually run the clubs, run both clubs, will have, will be already planning for the day when they've got to, to find a new manager. And I think the kind of... There is, there is a rivalry between uh, Klopp, and, uh, Klopp and Guardiola. Um, and, and, but I think the, the good thing about this rivalry, there's not been a lot of what I would call mind games played mm. by the manager. They've let both, but both of them have let their, te- their teams do the talking. And, and what we've seen with that is they've just kind of raised each other's standards. And, and but both managers have, have, have you know openly admitted this, that without Klopp at, at Liverpool, Guardiola probably wouldn't have reached the heights that he has. Yeah. And without Guardiola at City, Klopp wouldn't have, have reached it, those heights as well. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, the question is, how much further can they, they push each other? You know, yeah. uh, Guardiola's got an, another season left after this one. I think Klopp's got two seasons after this one. Um, you know, will can they be persuaded to stay? Because I just think it's just such a, a great rivalry that... Um, it will be a, it will be a shame when it when it comes to an end. So I was going to leave I was going to leave Man City Liverpool um, there, but just a quick one because Alan Chamberlain has asked us to discuss the referees VAR coming from Manchester. Tierney clearly has history with Liverpool. Has he Can, I start, with Can I start with that one? Can I start with that one? Tierney definitely has got a history with Liverpool. Um, starting with the game at Anfield earlier this season when he, he failed to spot a, a you know a, a stonewall foul by James Milder on on um on Foden that should have been a penalty and then failed to send James Milner off for what was the most obvious yellow card you will probably see this season. Um I, I in one way though I do agree I don't think the referee for for a game between any of the Manchester and Merseyside clubs, or for that example, you know, if it's, if it's a London club against the North East club, I don't think the referee should come from, from any of those areas. And, you know, Anthony Taylor, I don't think should be in charge of the um, of a game like this because fans love a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And, you know, if Anthony Taylor will already be under immense pressure or whoever will be the referee on Sunday will be under immense pressure. But there's always that you know the fact that he comes from Manchester would just adds to it, and I, and I just think it's it's a pressure that you know a referee doesn't need in a in a game like this. Um, yeah. So I agree. I, I, agree. I, I don't think um, it should be a Manchester referee in charge. I don't think it should have been Mike Dean in charge, for example, who's a who's a Merseyside referee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen. I know what you're saying, but I, th- I think then if you're saying Anthony Taylor shouldn't take charge of of any Manchester games or maybe even Northwest games, maybe even Liverpool games. Because he's from Manchester, I just think that excludes an awful lot of. No, I don't. I, I wouldn't exclude him from Merseyside games. games even so. That's a bit like Anthony, you know. Anthony Taylor is 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 a, an, an altering fan apparently. Now, but the thing yeah. is, he will have family who are, who are City United fans. He, he, you know, he will have neighbours and friends who are City United fans, and it might be an unconscious thing, you know. But I just think it adds to a. It, it just it just doesn't feel right. To me, that um, yeah. you know, a Manchester referee should be in charge of a, of a game like this that involves a Manchester club. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I, I've, I've got no problem with it personally. Taylor, Taylor, referee, I think he's quite a decent referee actually. I think Liam and Noel Gallagher run the line is a bit over the top, to be fair, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Franny Lee's Franny Lee's fourth official as well, apparently.
Anyway, it's going to be a great game. Whoever's in charge, let's hope Anthony Taylor has a good game. Let's hope City and Liverpool do. And talking of their managers, you know, that's one thing that strikes me about the job. Whoever takes over now from interim manager, uh, Ralph Rangnick, I mean, that's let's bear in mind, that's the job he's got on his hands. You know, I mean, never mind that it's an enormous job at Manchester United anyway. The new man has got to compete in a league that has got Klopp, Guardiola, Tuchel, three men absolutely at the top of their coaching game, three superstar coaches um, in the top three positions. He's got Conte to deal with, you know, at Spurs. It's a tough gig, whoever's taken over. And it looks, Matt, as though it's going to be Eric Ten Hag. Good appointment or not? Still don't see, I'm not not seeing the energy that I've always said they need and that Klopp has Guardiola... Great technical appointment, but that was supposed to be Ranić. I don't see him as the man now to take United through the next five years, which is they should have a five-year plan in place. The manager they believe can deliver that plan and, and somebody and somebody with a vision. So it doesn't matter what sort of a Horlicks there is going on upstairs in that ballroom. He's going to carry the club for the next five years and build them back to where they should be. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't see how you know a guy who's done all his managing pretty much in in holland has got that experience that belief uh, and can carry that charisma into a dressing room and tell some of the world's greatest players how to play football uh you know you've got to command that dressing room from the get-go and you know or, or win them round. and i don't see the strength of character there i may be wrong so, so i mean i think you're probably you know um through people you know, probably close to, to, to the Dutch scene that, that maybe myself and Matt are, what is Ten Hag going to be? Can he be the ruthless guy who comes in and clearly needs to overhaul a Man United? How, how, what is his reputation out there in Holland? What will he do? How will he approach it? You know, is he a conservative coach? Is he a, you know, does he, does, does he like liaise with players or will he just come in and say, right, this is how I'm going to do it. You're out, you're out, you're out. Yeah, I think he's quite ruthless in that regard. And I think really he's good. got, um, yeah, I think he's got a, a, a way of playing that if the players don't fit into that plan, then he will have absolutely no kind of fear about you know leaving them leaving them out of the team. I think I think the problem he's got is that the, the, the squad that he's going to inherit. I was making a note earlier. You know, David De Gea has probably been United's best player this season again. By the way, I think he's in line for about his fifth or sixth uh, club yeah. player of the year award. Even there, though, you know, this was supposed to be the season that Dean Henderson came in and established yes. himself as United's number one. So, so you know, what happens there? Because Dean Henderson was given, a, you know, a fat new contract 12 months ago with the intention that, you know, David De Gea would leave and they'd have, you know, probably a guy who was going to be the next England goalkeeper as their number one. That hasn't happened. So there's a, there's a, there's a problem there. Defensively, you know, Eric Bailly has played, what, three games this season, four, four Premier League games this season. He was on a new contract. You know, he's obviously not in anyone's plans. Phil Jones is out of contract. You know, Aaron Wan-Bissak has lost his way. You've got the Paul Pogba, Juan Mata and Jesse Lingard are out of contract. You've got the Van der Beek situation, which I would imagine um, Ten Hag will be more open to, to having Van der Beek in his team than, than either Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or uh, Ralph Ranjek was. Um, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, who was supposed to be one of United's biggest problems, 
but it's probably the least of his worries when he goes in, when you think that, you know, Anthony Martial's been sent on, on loan to Seville. Mason Greenwood's got issues that need to be resolved off the pitch. Edinson Cavani's out of contract. Uh, Marcus Rashford, four, four Premier League goals all season. And, you know, a shadow of the player that, that burst through at Old Trafford under Louis van Gaal. Massive, massive issues to deal with. And you mm. kind of look at the... You look at the the makeup and the problems within that squad, and it's quite astonishing that United are actually still in with an outside chance of breaking yeah. the top four because it is an absolute mess at Old Trafford. So um, Matt's absolutely right; it can't be a, a, a one year, two year, three year option. They've got mm. to give him four or five years to turn the club around. Um, yeah. That otherwise they're just going to go through the same old pain over and over again. You know, it's Groundhog Day every. You know. Every yeah. year, Rafid. Deja vu all over again. Deja vu all over again. All over again. Say, um, yeah, I think you're right, and, and you know what? It's 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 scarcely believable when you go through it like that, Sam. When you go through the list like that, you know, you know, of, of the issues that affects almost every part part of the field. I mean, you, you've left off there, for example, Harry Maguire. You know, who's current club form? Listen, we know he's been great for England, but who's current club form? You know, someone said to me last night, you know, was probably. He probably actually played better for Hull than he did for Manchester United, you know, and, and he's the club captain. That's, that's the issues they've got. Where does he start, Matt? Where does Ten Hag start? I mean, what's his first? What's the, what's the first thing he does? Well, I think the first thing he's got to do is, if he's going to be getting rid of some senior players, the senior players he wants to keep, he needs to explain to them his, and get them on board because that's been part of the problem is the dressing room haven't bought into what any of these United managers have been. Yeah, even Ollie, they kind of went along with because it was, you know, jovial and lighthearted and smacked a little bit of Fergie. But but effectively, if he's got if he's going to be splitting his senior players into those he wants and those he doesn't, he's got to persuade those that are staying that, no, we're not getting rid of good players, we're getting rid of the wrong players and we're going to get the right ones in. And, and then he needs to find some leaders in that dressing room because that's what's been missing or buy them in and have mm. promises from the pool that he can afford to buy them in because they are hard to get. But then again, it's uh, throwing it back to Spurs again. You know, they've got something like four international captains in their team, um, you know, and, and United just don't have that. You know, there's yeah. no one on the pitch there that, that they can that he can lean on. He's going to need his leaders on the pitch there to drag through some, you know, good young players that, you know, that they've got. Someone who can get Rashford and talk him up and uh, and get him back playing because he's a he could be a great United striker still if he gets his head back on. Uh, and the same with Maguire, you know, he kind of, you know, he's, he's an England captain, has captained England, you know, he's a United captain, but someone needs to stand alongside him and say, come on, Harry, you're a better player than that. Get get yourself playing. And, you know, you can't afford to change things wholesale because that's not going to work either. Mm. He's got to develop the, get back the players that he's got, develop some of the younger players through. And, and yeah, and I think if he needs players on side and that's, that's going to be key because he's got yeah. to build some sort of family group energy dynamic that is going to all together, they're going to lift this club back to where everyone feels that they probably should be, which is one of the greatest teams in the world. Yeah. I mean, no divine right to be there, but, um, but yeah, you're right. It, but that's it, what it, I mean. He's got to find a way yeah. to get them back there though, because yeah. he needs that strength of will and he can't do it on his own. He needs his senior players to help him. Yeah. Next up for United, um, Saturday, um, Goodison Park. 
Um, uh, uh, just early on, 12.30 kickoff ahead of <laughs> ahead of the Grand National. Um, and it's fair to say that the Franks got a bit of a Grand National-style challenge ahead of him as they now until the rest of the season, Simon. Big result last night for Sean Dyche and Burnley. Big result. And Everton in a spot above him, mate. You know, I thought, Sean, and this was quite unlike Sean Dyche, because um, he's not he's not a man to kind of gloat or, or boast, but he said after the game last night, I, I said to the players before, I, I think it was either before the game or, or at half-time. Yeah, no, before. Uh, yeah, Everton don't know how to win football matches. So, you know, his team went in into the game, you know, felt we're 2-1 down at one stage and apparently, you know, because I, I was flicking through the Champions League game and the, the, the Burnley-Everton game, Everton looked in control of the game and then clearly just, just fell apart. And you look at their, their upcoming fixtures and, um, you know, if they don't beat United, no. this is actually a game out of the next five games that you would kind of give them, you know, an odds-on chance of of actually getting something out of it because, you know, they've got Leicester twice, they've got Chelsea, they've got Liverpool coming up. Uh, I just think if they can't get anything out of this United game at Goodison, then um, I I just don't see how they're going to escape. I think it's that that crucial. They've got an horrible run-in. I think they've also got, um, they've got Arsenal as well to play. Um, yes. Point this season. Oh, last game was yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, you know, I just I just think it's um, it, it's it's already kind of get, we're already getting to a stage of make or break with you know seven, eight, nine games of the season still to play. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's that dire for, for Frank Lampard. Matt, Matt, um, just 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 quickly, the the, the way some people as they always are nowadays. I was driving back from Stamford Bridge last night and. Um, as always, you know, there's some some people, you know, getting listened to on um, on phone-ins and some were actually suggesting that Frank um, should be sacked. I mean, to me, it's a ridiculous suggestion, but um, has he got what it takes to get him through this now? Well, we'll find out over the next yeah. few games. It's a big question mark, isn't it? He's, he's been you a good man. sack him, would you? I don't think so, no, no, because you've, they've made that decision. That just shows uh, sort of crass leadership at the very top, if you do yeah. that. You know, they decided he was the guy to get them out of the problems they were in. I mean, he was brought in to keep them up. So that was his remit. He wasn't trying to do something else and suddenly the job's changed. No, the job is still keep them in the Premier League. So a change of heart now doesn't give any manager any time to do anything. So that that would just be uh, crazy. You know, you've got to back him to a certain degree. Otherwise, the players have got every excuse they need to down tools. Um, If a new manager comes in and say, look... The owners don't know what they're doing. You know, it's not our fault. Uh, so, you know, he's got to find a way of galvanising him. He, <clears throat> yeah, it's easy to say that he played most of his football at the other end of the table, but he's a competitive person. He wants to win every game, and that's why Everton pretty much are getting themselves in the situation where they need to do it. So it's ridiculous to say he doesn't know how to, to keep a club up. But all that competitive spirit, he needs to translate into his players um, and get them to suddenly start playing. It's not a fine tweet. He's some, somehow got to get something to kick into place because the momentum's all against them. Uh, and that's what he's got to turn around very quickly. You know what, as well, by the way, can I just say something on that? This, Everton, this is a crisis within a crisis, you know, but people talk about yeah, Matt, yeah. Talk about sacking Frank Lampard. What, and add, add another few million compensation oh. to the. Uh, 373 million 372 million 
they've lost over the last three years. You know, this is yeah. a, this is a club that was supposed to be on the up and up when uh, Farhad Mashiri came in, and you know, and he, and he he has put his money where his mouth is. To be fair, you know, they've spent spent so much money. They've got this, you know, fantastic new development at Bram, Bramley Dock that they're supposed to be moving into in 2024. Can you imagine that if Everton aren't in the, the Premier League? You know, what, 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 happens to, to, what happens to that? You know, and like I say, they, they, you know, there's already uh, rumblings in the Premier League that, that clubs are unhappy that, um, yeah. that you know, that, that Everton might be allowed to kind of write these these losses off because of the, uh, the COVID, COVID pandemic. So... Yeah. Um, you know, like I say, it, it, it is a crisis within a, a, an even bigger crisis. Simon, Simon, it is. I mean, you know, I, I've heard those rumblings probably as loud, coming as loud as you have. And like, you know, this is going to be, you know, it's not the end. I don't think of discussions about Everton's financial situation. Let's just put it that way. It's not the end of discussions by by a long chalk. Matt, just very briefly, I'll come to you on this one because you probably see more of them than we do. A little bit more of them anyway, but who's finishing fourth, Arsenal or Spurs? Spurs momentum at the moment? Uh, a cheeky part of me wants to say Chelsea, because I think <laughs> Spurs have got that much momentum. I think they might catch them. Um, I, I still think, yes, I've said all along, Spurs are in the middle of a run of about six games against teams that they beat earlier in the season. Uh, it doesn't mean everything, but it gives you an indication they're the sort of beatable teams. And, and I'm going to take up with, with Ned, who's listening in in the background there, uh, talking about uh, Arsenal's surprise defeat against Palace. That was no real surprise to me. Uh, Arsenal don't play well against the teams that get in their faces. They've not beaten... They've, the only top six, big six side they've beaten all season uh, was Spurs when they were at fairly low ebb under Santo. Um, and, the, you know, they've got a draw against Brighton. Any team that can defend properly and get in your face, Arsenal can't beat. They can... <clears throat> smack goals past Newcastle, Leeds, Norwich, you know, the teams that can't defend. But for all the exciting football that, uh, that's been part of this process, you know, he's still not worked out a way of winning. They played well against City, didn't win. Played well against Liverpool, didn't win. Uh, and that's that's been Arsenal's problem all season. They haven't beaten the big teams. And now in their run-in, they've got a, a very different Spurs to face. Um, I think they've got uh, Manchester United in there. Um, uh, and the, those are the teams that you know uh, they're gonna they're gonna struggle against and drop points against. So you know I think Spurs will win a North London derby um, for starters, mm. uh, and uh, and they'll and I, th- I see Arsenal dropping more points than Spurs in the other games just because of the that they're they're not quite there yet. Next season they might be a bit stronger, but until they beat a big six side in a proper stand up battle then, you know, they can't call themselves a top four team themselves. Uh, and that's the hurdle they've got to overcome. I think you're right. I think Spurs, um, Spurs will, will, will probably um, finish finish fourth. Uh, and I do think, you know, I think it'd be great for the Premier League if if Conte, you know, settled down. You know, he seems to be settling down a little bit as much as Antonio Conte can settle down. I think it'd be great if he settled down and, and got into a good run of form if Kane stays you know, then we could hopefully have more than a, well, it's become a two-way battle. Initially, it was a three-way battle at the top of the table next season. Sam, you mentioned club football back with a bang, but just quickly to go back to finish with on um, international football, um, we can park this now for a little while, but the World Cup draw. Um, we haven't got time to do the whole draw, but um, let's just do as we as we normally do here and concentrate on, on England. Um, 
their group, I picked up the newspapers the next day and tuned into the radio and there was words like, you know, dream group, Yankee Doodle Dandy, who've we got in the last 16 type of thing. Like, you know, people booking hotels, the last 16 group, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously that raised the hackles of obviously Welsh and Scottish fans who might, who, who might yet be in that group along with Ukraine. But listen, there's no getting away from it. I mean, because they're top seeds anyway, by its very nature, you're going to get a reasonable group. But this looks like a group, again, with respect to Iran, to the US, and to Wales, Scotland, Ukraine. It's a group that England, considering their form from the pre previous two major tournaments, should be getting through, isn't it? Well, uh, I think you, both of you two were in Rustenburg in yes. 2010 when we played America. And uh, the, the World Cup, that World Cup campaign didn't get off to uh, such a great start. Um Mistake by Robert Green and you know one of I wasn't in Rustenburg, but I bumped into Rob Green yeah. last night at Stamford Bridge. Right, right, so right. I bet you're delighted they got USA again because you're going to be the focus of a few interviews again come yeah. come November. Well, I remember. Yes. You know, I, re I remember. Um, I remember that that night, and I remember um, Rob Green walking through the mix zone area past past the the kind of world's assorted media, and he looked like a man. Who was uh, on his way to the gallows, and um, it, it, it kind of kind of brought it home about you know what what it does mean to to, to players, and to, you know we, we think of the world all the glory of the World Cup, but this guy had made a mistake, and you know there was still plenty of time to to um, to put that right. I think he got dropped after that. I think David James yeah. came for the next yeah. game, and so that was the end of Rob Green's World Cup. Um, but I think this and. and I don't want to say this, but I'm going to have to. I think this is a different England team. Yeah, and I really do think that we that that our optimism isn't as misplaced as it's been in previous years. Um, I just think Southgate has got um, has got a great group of players, um, a group of players who respect the coaching team, and the coaching team respect the players. I think everything he's kind of done in a, in an adult professional way. There are no, there don't don't seem to be any cliques and kind of splits in in the group. And um, and I just think we can approach this this next World Cup with with. With, with right up the right optimism rather than misguided optimism. I think it was a good draw for England. I think progress after that is going to be very difficult because of the side of the group we're on. So you know, if we're going to if we're yeah. going to make any great strides in the competition, certainly beyond the last sixteen, then um, you know it's going to have to be another you know another fantastic campaign for from uh, from Gareth Southgate. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good draw for England. I, I, um, a British, another British team, possibly in, in in one of the group games, you know. But don't write off, don't write off Ukraine because, um, you know, yeah. they, they will they will have a lot of emotion behind them when they when they hopefully finally get to play football again. So, um, yeah, in, in, interesting interesting draw, but one we can be optimistic about. Absolutely, I you know I, I and again you're right, mate. You know, in many ways, it'd be good to see Ukraine there. Equally, it'd be it'd be good to see Wales or Scotland. I think they they both be you know great additions to that group. Um, a final word on England, though, Matt. Um, you've covered them for a long time now, and you continue to be impressed by Southgate. Yeah, no. Uh, well, mm. our last competitive game we won ten nil. You know, if you go back to that, that's something we don't often do. You know, even the last friendlies we got through pretty well. Seem yeah. to be looking at things that. That needed to be that he felt needed to be looked at. There's no waste. He, he uses his time as as international manager 
uh, brilliantly, I think. It always seems to be some sort of focus on what he's trying to do, even in friendlies. I think we'll see a very strong England teams for this June's Nations League because I think he wants to see his best team or close to his best team play their best football and have some minutes on the pitch. So I don't think there'll be some of the experiments we've seen recently. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and I mean, I was out in Qatar for the draw. Um, you know, he, he sort of tried to play it down immediately as all England managers do and said it was a, some tricky ones in there. But I mean, the USA are basically trying to uh, copy what England have done um, with a young group of players that, that Greg uh, Bearhouse and their coaches trying to build the same sort of family feeling that England have got. But they're about three years behind with less talent. Uh, uh, and, and Iran, uh, Dragan Skocic seems like quite a character and might mm. might be, be quite an interesting one near at a time uh, to have a few more words with. But but they're there for the adventure. They, they 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 love being a big team in Asia, which they've established themselves as. But but he admits that the World Cup's something different, and you know I don't I think the whole of Iran expects them to win the World Cup. But um, but but he's more realistic on on what the step up is. Uh, and and the only big question when you're doing all this plotting through to when we win the World Cup is that big. You know our probable opponents. Everyone keeps you know going Senegal, and then in the quarterfinals we're playing France, and then it's Belgium, Portugal in the semi-final. Well, hang on a sec, that that quarterfinal opponent, France. Yeah, or are we just going to jump over that one? I think that's going to be uh, again another England quarterfinal that that uh, that needs to be negotiated. But uh, but but we'll you know. But then things change, don't they? People end up in different groups. So we can't count too many chickens, but but no. To to answer your question, Southgate still strong, still adding new stuff to England, and uh, and still the best man to take us yeah. into this World Cup. I agree. It'll certainly be a World Cup like no other, that's for sure. And we'll, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, between now and um, and when we head out there in November. Did I just say something on that? By the way, you know what I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking really looking forward to the Iran game. I, I went to um, I went to the Iran Spain game. In, in Russia 2018 and the support that Iran got there was absolutely fantastic. Honestly, it was absolutely electric. So you can only imagine what it's going to be like in um, in Qatar. Yeah. It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll probably go up another four or five notches. It really, it really, they really do make it into a, a, um, a cauldron and, uh, you know, Spain, Spain won one nil, but they were, they were lucky to win, you know, it, yeah. it Really raise the game around, so that that is a game that we shouldn't just kind of take as a gimme, um, mm. simply because oh, it's, no. going to be like, it's going to be like a home game for them. No, no, it's, it's, Sam, you, you mentioned um, um, Rustenberg, you, you know, and don't forget, it didn't start off great, and it didn't actually get that much better, did it? Really, you know, we had, I think we had Algeria after that, didn't we? The next game in Cape Town, which is as bad an England performance as you're likely to see. Scraped through against Slovenia in Port Elizabeth, wasn't it? I think one nil. Joe Cole, I think, and then of course, um, and then knocked out by Germany. Was it? Yeah, the goal that never was smashed up in Bloemfontein by Germany. Yeah, doom and gloom, Fontaine. But anyway, listen. Um, I said we'll, we'll talk more about the World Cup a lot between now and November. But Sunday, let's say, you know, in the meantime, Sunday should be a great game. Alan Chamberlain, our, co- our main correspondent, by the way, Sam, has been on. He's given a long list of things that Paul Tierney has given against Liverpool, by the way. Listen, listen, I'll be interested to look at them. 
You should cut your tenny also now Jota Stonewall penalty in spares and a blatant red card against Harry Kane that cost Liverpool two points, let alone the Rodri Ambo in the City Everton game. What's he got to do to influence the talent anymore? Odds on, 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 on a City penalty on Sunday hold seems hold on a minute. short to me. Is, is that did, is that a Liverpool fan mentioning um, Everton an Everton game at Goodison Park? You know, surely that's that's Everton fans who should be uh, moaning about that. Um, yes, you know, I'm not sure uh, that kind of counts as uh, that he's got an agenda against Liverpool by failing to give a, a penalty yeah. against City at Goodison Park. You know, I think Everton fans might be moaning about that if they're if they're relegated by a point at the end of the season. But I'm not <laughs> sure Liverpool fans have got the same kind of grievance. Listen, 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 mate. Re- referees, in a way, and a bit like football reporters, aren't they? They've always got an agenda against your club, haven't they? Oh, I mean, absolutely, it's, it's, absolutely. It's, it's you know, and, and listen. As, as I said earlier, fans love it. Fans love, um, you know, a conspiracy theory. And Mike, Mike Riley seems to be giving fans every excuse to kind of buy into that um, with his appointments. You know, you know, you know, you know what I think of Mike Riley and and the, the job he's doing uh, in charge of uh, Premier League referees and. Uh, I think the the book should stop with him. But yeah, I agree with the point. A Manchester referee shouldn't be in charge of a a game uh, between Manchester City and Liverpool. Listen, I'm hoping and I'm pretty sure it won't come down to that. I think you see two great teams. A lot of people are saying it is a title-defining matches. Just to finish with, um, can you remember what are your favourite title-defining matches, if any, Simon? Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, there's been some great ones and you know I, I mean going back years you know Liverpool Arsenal uh, um, yeah. Anfield um, you know I, I, you know that, that that kind of terrible that terrible year and the terrible reasoning behind that the way that game was scheduled but you know an unbelievable finish um, 2019 I think 2019 um, that contest at the top of the table City and Liverpool um, mm. was just and again you're talking about teams Pushing each other to the limit, and and that was certainly City and Liverpool did that that year. The the, the Vincent Company goal against Leicester, because yes. you know City were banging on the door, and it don't, didn't look like it was going to going to open. And Company took a sledgehammer to it really with his right foot and wallet, you know. And I think that was the goal that decided. I know City had to go to Brighton and win, but that was the goal that decided the title that year. So yeah. yeah it's it's funny you should mention that, Sam. It, it, it's funny because that goal, I, I remember when we mentioned about Klopp and Guardiola um, and how we uh, obviously we, we saw them one of our functions and, and in that year, um, um, after that, and, and and that's the one moment Klopp referred to in his speech. He said, like, you know, you sat at home, City didn't look like they were going to score. Um, and then he referenced that as, as, as like one of the most significant moments of that season. He said he just sort of like, you know, I don't know, he threw his beer in the air, you know, slumped down into the chair, complete, you know, leathers in from um, from 25 yards. And, and, and actually, I was going to mention that as well. Matt, any for you? Yeah, well, it's funny that because uh, I suspected, again, you always accuse journalists of being biased against various teams. But I thought we'd have, you know, it's up for grabs and, and uh, City... Outdoing Liverpool in 2019, you know, I thought it might might not look too good for Liverpool. Um, so I thought I'd dig way back into the memory banks to 1988, right. the year before, when uh, Liverpool and Forest played. Uh, Forest was second, Liverpool were first, and that was a game where Liverpool uh, beat Forest five nil. 
um, in what was supposed to be some sort of battle for Forrest to get back in the title race, absolutely showed what a great team that particular era of Liverpool team you know players were with Barnes with um, Beardsley. Yeah, Houghton, that 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 era, uh, and absolutely said, no, we are the champions. And wouldn't it be great if on Sunday one of the teams could dig out a sort of a performance of the decade uh, and really say, well, no, this is our chance to show who the best team in the country is, uh, and perhaps you know not just decide it on points, but decide it with an emphatic performance to say, no, we're better than you. And and wouldn't that be fantastic? Yeah, I don't think it'd be be quite as. I think it'd be a bit more close, close, yeah, close than that. But, uh, but yeah, but it'd be interesting. It's going to be defining ends of the season, isn't it? In terms of this, in terms of um, what happens at the semi final um, at Wembley, and who knows yet? uh, The way the results have gone, it's still a possibility that we might see them again um, in Paris for the Champions League final. Um, but anyway, let's hope Sunday's a great game. Lads, thanks very much um, for today. Um, and we'll debrief after what's going to be another mega week next week. Thanks again and thanks everyone for watching and listening. 